believe children are dismissed to we worship. It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, reminder that in a couple of weeks, so not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, the uh, 15th, Charlie Shimon will be here to preach in the morning. Uh, we're going to take that service and that day uh, to uh, show our thanks to the Shimmons. We're going to follow that service with a potluck, and we're going to eat together. Uh, but we also would like to take up a love offering for the Shimmons, uh, just to be an encouragement and blessing to them. So that Sunday, Sunday, the September the 15th, uh, you need to bring food, and you need to bring a checkbook. Uh, and I will be making that joke next week. Just be prepared. With that said, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful testimony a reminder in the midst of storm clouds, perhaps in moments where we are struggling to find some sort of hope, because of your watch care, because of your sovereign grace, because of your mercy, because you are a God who is near, we can still find a song. And I pray that testimony be a powerful testimony to those around us, many who feel as though they have no reason to sing. And I pray, Father, we would present to them the Savior that we are going to read about this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was learning to drive, my family owned a Dodge or a white Dodge Neon. If you don't remember the car, it was a small four-door compact. It had the magical formula of being cheap and cheap. Uh, that's why we had one. So I'm learning to drive, and in Michigan you start with what is known as a learner's permit. In Michigan that means that you can only drive when you're beginning to learn. You can only drive with a parent. Uh, and so one morning, I can remember very clearly, my mother asked me, would you like to drive to school? And at that point, it was about a uh, 12, 15 mile drive to school. So I said, sure, I'll drive to school. Uh, in the state of Michigan, you had to get so many hours in driving with mom and dad uh, before you were allowed to move on to the next license. So we're driving down the road. We get to a stretch of road where there really isn't anything exciting going on, not a whole lot of traffic. Uh, I don't remember what happened, but at uh, some point, apparently, I started to daydream and wasn't really thinking about what I was doing until my mother yelled, what are you doing? And I'm pretty sure the car that was heading straight for us, the driver of that car, was saying, what are you doing? And I remember that moment, and I thought uh, there was no accident. There was not, uh, anybody, everybody was okay, and we made it to school okay. But I just remember just being startled out of that, and then later wondering what my mother thought about my driving. You ever been in a car like that? Maybe some of you have had to go through the process of teaching a teenager how to drive, or maybe you've been with a friend and you've thought to yourself, what are they doing? <coughs> or how about this? Several years ago, I was sitting with my uncle who has lived in Alaska for the last 40 years. He was telling me this story. He said, you know, uh, me and my friends, we went snowmobiling out in the mountains. And the area they were in, his friend knew, but he didn't. Uh, and while they were there, uh, an unexpected snowstorm broke out in the mountains. That does happen. Uh, and he said it was so bad that they couldn't see. The only thing he could see was his, the, the tail lights to his friend's snowmobile. So he knew his friend knew the area, and so he was just going to be determined to try and stay close enough 
to, to see his taillights. He said, but at some point, those taillights just vanished. It wasn't like they faded away. He said they were just gone. And he said, and for the moment, he said, I was pretty sure my friend had just led us over the side of a cliff. And he said, he, he, the first thought that went through his mind was, well, this is the right way to go. You ever been in a situation like that? He, of course, made it. Uh, his friend knew where he was going. But have you ever been in a situation like that? You were pretty sure this was the end. This is all, that's all, folks. Wonder what they're going to say about me at the funeral. As I mentioned last week, Matthew's going to follow the Sermon on the Mount with nine stories. These nine stories he gives to us in a set of three, and each section of three serve a very different purpose. Now, they're all tied together by the fact that he's talking about Jesus, and he's emphasizing overall the power, or showing us the power of who Jesus is. But in these sets of three, we also learn other things, like last week, we, looked, we learned about what kind of Savior Jesus is. This week, we're going to, as we see in verses 18 to 22, find a very different lesson to learn. Verses 18 to 22 kind of set the stage for us. We have one man who comes to Jesus and says, I'm ready to follow you. And Jesus essentially responds to him, you're not ready. You're not ready to pay the cost. Uh, foxes have holes, birds have nests. You're, you know, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. You're not ready to, uh, to pay the cost. And then we have a second man that Jesus invites to follow him, but gives an excuse or a reason why he can't. He says, I need to bury my father. Likelihood is what he's saying is that I can't leave my father. I need to stay, take care of my dad. Uh, and when he dies, I'm ready to follow you. So what he's saying to Jesus is, I'm not willing to pay the cost of following you. And so what we find in verses 18 to 22 is the setting here is now what Matthew wants to talk about is following Jesus. So we're talking about powerful Jesus, and we talked about what kind of savior this powerful Jesus is. Now we're going to talk about following this powerful savior. And so I have three points for you this morning that we learn things that we learn about following Jesus. Things that we learn about following Jesus. Number 1, Number one, following Jesus is good, but not safe. Following Jesus is good, but not stay, safe. Now, we noticed in the first set of three that Matthew changes geographical locations, and it helped us to understand the passage. Matthew's going to do the same thing here for us, except that each story is going to start with some form of the phrase, Jesus went over. We're, we're going to be, as readers, following Jesus around. In verse 18, again, he says to his disciples, it's time to go. We're going to go get the boat ready. We're going to the other side of the lake. Now, this prompts one man to say, Jesus, I'm going to go with you. Prompts another man to say, Jesus, I can't go right now. Now, the context here is Jesus is literally leaving. You, If you were going to be with Jesus in this moment, you would literally have to follow him where he's going. But Jesus is taking the moment to take this literal fellowship and explain spiritual fellowship. And really the idea here is that there are those who are ready to pay the cost and those who are not. This is immediately followed by an example. But I want to point out to you the phrase here, foxes have holes and birds have nests. This is meant to 
uh, give you the image of being exposed. If you're going to go with Jesus, he's saying to this guy, you're going to have nowhere to run. You're going to find yourself exposed to all sorts of dangers. You'll have no hole to run to. You'll have no nest to fly to. Now, Matthew's clear here. It is good. You should follow Jesus. He never strays from that idea. You should follow Jesus, but don't think that it's safe. Again, this is then illustrated in verses 23 to 27 with a familiar story. They get into the boat. They're on their way across the sea, and a storm comes. Now, Jesus is asleep, but the, the, all the gospel writers tell us that this storm is so crazy that these hardened seafaring men, these guys who grew up on the sea, are scared that they're going to die. So they go and they, raise, or they wake up Jesus. Jesus turns to them and says, why are you afraid? Now, why would he ask that question? Why were they afraid? The storm was crazy. You and I would be afraid. If we were there, we would be afraid. But Jesus is asking them because he had told them what? That they're going to the other side of the lake. He had already put before them that they were headed somewhere. They were just going to have to pass through this danger. And we know how the story ends. He gets up, demonstrates his power by calming the storm. And they're left simply with the question, who is this guy for even the winds and the seas obey him? So this first story is really to set out for us that following Jesus is good, but it is not safe. I want you to think about something, if you know your Bible. If you turn to the book of Ephesians, you don't have to do that, but let me say, if you were to do that sometime, I'd encourage you to do it. I want you to notice something about that book. The whole book opens by telling you about what God has done for you and all the gracious mercy he has shown you. And all the wonderful promises he has for you. And so the book opens by telling you, essentially, God is good. And then the, the, the book moves on to telling you all the things that God has called you to li uh, in life. In chapter 2, it says he's got a plan. He's got jobs for you to do as you follow him. And then kind of lays out how that's going to be done. But note that the book ends by telling you to do what? Put on the armor of God. Hey, as you walk and follow this very good God who's shown you mercy and grace, you're going to need this shield. You're going to need this sword. You're going to need this breastplate. You're going to need these combat boots. You're going to need armor to go and do what God wanted you to do. Or think about it this way. If I came to you and I said, hey, I really would like to take a trip together. And I said to you, before we leave, can you make sure that you have a gun? And make sure not only do you have a gun, make sure you bring some bullets and if you happen to have one, maybe you should bring along your bulletproof vest. And then I think on our way there, I'm going to stop and get some armored plating on my car. Now, how many of you think we're about to take a very safe trip? Well, that's what Jesus is, or that's what Ephesians tells us. That if we're going to walk the Christian life, if we're going to follow God, if we're going to follow this good Christ, we're not walking, we're not going, we're not doing something that is safe. So then the questions start coming. Would you follow Jesus if you knew ahead of time you were going to go into the storm of cancer? Would you follow if it was going to mean the storm of financial struggle, the storm of broken relationships, the storm of loss, the, the storm of, of, of a terrible place to work, the storm of aging, of the storm of, of simply waiting? Would you go if you knew? Or how about, if, have you had these experiences? 
Have you ever tried to do something, tried to follow Jesus, and found yourself feeling as though you're just getting taken advantage of? Have you ever tried to follow Jesus and found that everything in your life, including the kitchen sink, is being thrown at you to get you to stop? Have you ever been in the midst of trying to do what Jesus wants you to do, trying to serve Jesus, trying to follow Jesus, and found yourself so beset with the urge to punch someone in the nose? Anybody who tells you that following Jesus is good and right is telling you the truth. But anybody who tells you that it's safe is lying. So what do we learn about following Jesus? First of all, that it is good, but it is not safe. Number two, number two, following Jesus means making choices between right and wrong. Following Jesus means making choices between right and wrong. Verse 28, we see the phrase again. They came over to the other side. So as the reader, we followed Jesus into the boat. We followed him across the lake. And here we are on the other side. Now this is a, an account that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us about, but each of them focuses on something different. For example, uh, Mark only tells us there is one guy here, but Mark's idea in that in telling the story is to talk about Jesus's authority. Luke tells us a, a few other things, but he's just trying to establish the authenticity of the story. Matthew's focus in telling us this is about the confrontation with evil. Notice the information given to us in the text. We have two men here, both demon possessed we have evil presented to us right off the bat the old testament tells the that says that the israelites who saw all the power of god display as they left egypt when they rejected god that was evil the book of hebrews says for those who hear the gospel and say they're going to follow jesus but abandon him in trouble they said that's evil but demons represent a whole different level of evil. evil. Demons know that God exists. These demons have lived in the presence of God. They have seen God, yet are actively in rebellion against him. So by telling us two men are demon-possessed, Matthew is highlighting the reality of the presence of evil. But no, uh, notice as we go on in the text, we're told that these two men are so evil, the situation has gotten so bad that wherever they were, people could not go there. The idea in the, the language there is that the area had become violent. It was not a place where there was anything good. It was absent of good. Now, Mark tells us that this is happening among the tombs. So imagine this. These evil men doing these evil things are happening in the place that you're trying to say your final goodbyes to a loved one. This is an evil moment. But then the story goes on where we see that the demons are fearful that they're going to be tormented. They ask to be sent into the herd of pigs. They are sent into the herd of pigs. The herd uh, runs violently off a cliff and into the sea. Of course, this causes a great commotion. So the town shows up. And they see the two men. Mark says they see the men sitting there in their right mind and clothed. Here in Matthew, says they come and they see the men that they're healed. And they ask Jesus to leave. It's a moment, the, the final moment of evil in the text is we have a whole town choosing pigs over people. Now, 
Matthew's clearly presenting Jesus as the one who had the right to judge. He he was the one who had the right to cast them into the demons. We have a confrontation and a defeat of evil. But I want you to notice something. Just before this moment, these men following Jesus were sure that this sea was about to swallow them whole. Yet they made it safely across. That sea that they were afraid was going to swallow them whole has now become a place of judgment for evil as these pigs ran into the sea and drowned. You're supposed to see the contrast, the contrast there. And of course, then the, the, the questions start coming. Are we going to follow Jesus as we come into confrontations between right and wrong? Jesus is the one with the authority to judge. He's the one to declare what is right and what is wrong. This is not a rabbi. This is not a pastor. This is not a guru. This is not Dr. Phil. This is the God of the universe who has the right to declare what is good and what is not good. This is a Jesus who has the power to save you from drowning in the storm and the power to cast evil into the sea. Now, I taught this story uh, this summer when I was at camp in Canada, and I taught it uh, a less, this lesson to the youth group. And I asked both groups the, uh, the same question. These people show up. This is, ob- this is obviously a problem, all right? Two demon-possessed men making the area where you bury your dead so incredibly violent. that It probably was difficult to put somebody to rest at that point. Jesus comes, solves this problem that Mark lays out that everybody had already tried to solve. And they show up and they ask him to leave. Why? Most of us would be thankful. Well, the reality is, is they were choosing pigs over people. But it goes deeper than that. It goes into the essence of sinfulness, the bent towards sinfulness, the part of us that wants to question God's authority, the part of us that tries to find justifying putting ourselves in charge. This moment with these people, they were confronted with an authority they either had to submit to or get away from as fast as they could. And they chose the latter. They chose not to follow. Now, when I was at camp in Canada... After I got done with the lesson and I would ask if there's any questions, a young girl raised her hand and asked the question, how am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know what it means to follow Jesus? Or how am I supposed to know what Jesus wants me to do? And I really think she was genuinely curious. Well, I started, I said, well, let me give you an example. I said, the Bible has a lot to say about Relationships particularly romantic ones. Okay, these are teenage girls. I know boys are on their brain, so made for a good illustration. I said, but the Bible says a lot about relationships, particularly romantic ones. And I say, all right, you get done with your summer, you go back to school, and let's say there's this awesome, crazy awesome, good-looking guy, and his name is Brad. I don't know why I chose Brad. It was just Brad. And let's say you find out that Brad is interested in you. I said, following Jesus... It means that you have to ask Jesus. You have to look and ask and give Jesus the authority to decide whether or not you should pursue a relationship or a romantic relationship with Brad. It's that simple. Well, she didn't like that answer at all. She made it very clear that it was always going to be Brad over Jesus. Now to start applying that to your life. 
If Jesus has the right to say what is right and wrong, and he does, it means that this is going to get quite disruptive to the way you want to live. It means you and I don't get to choose pigs over people. It means I'm not allowed to try and obtain even good goals through unrighteous means. It means living through the filter of asking the question, can I do this and follow Jesus? So what have we learned about following Jesus? It's good, but not safe. It's going to mean we're going to have some confrontations. We're going to have to make some choices between right and wrong. And then lastly, number three, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Following Jesus means the forgiveness of sins. Following Jesus means the forgiveness of sins. Verse 1 of chapter 9, we see the phrase again, Jesus crossed over. Still following Jesus around, but this time we're back where we started in the city of Capernaum. Once again, this moment is mentioned by several of the other gospel writers giving us different details. Mark tells us that the reason they had to bring, or the, there was some struggle in getting this paralyzed man to Jesus. Uh, the crowd was big. Jesus was teaching, so they had to lower this guy through a roof. Matthew leaves almost all of that out because his goal is different. Matthew wants to highlight this particular thing. That these people brought this crippled man to Jesus because of their faith. That what was happening here was because of faith. Now we know, again, according to the other accounts, Jesus doesn't immediately heal the man. Instead, he looks past the man's physical problem and says, your sins are forgiven. The context seems to indicate, and most of the other accounts seem to affirm it, that this man really wanted to get to Jesus, not because of his physical need, but because he wanted something greater. The Gospels are filled with examples of people who came to Jesus for food, came to Jesus for healing, and then never followed him again. Jesus taught again and again to the people that they had a greater need than physical healing. They had a greater need than the need for food. They had a greater need for a political leader. They needed a savior. And so the idea that Matthew's highlighting here is that these people and this paralyzed man, they came to Jesus because they're, they're realizing of their need for a savior. And this is what got the religious leaders so upset. Jesus in this moment says, coming to me, following me, means your biggest problem is dealt with. But let me explain it this way. Let's say you and your family, let's say you and your family are a victim of a terrible crime. Let's say the person who commits the crime is caught, tried, goes to jail. Well, in jail, this person has the opportunity to hear the gospel, and when they hear the gospel, they believe. According to what we understand in Scripture, in that moment, Jesus cleanses that person, and here's the key. He forgives their sins and doesn't ask anybody if it's okay. He doesn't get anybody's permission. This person may have committed a terrible crime. But the moment they, they hear the gospel and believe, the Bible says they are cleansed and Jesus forgives because he has the authority to do so. And that's what the religious leaders understood. This moment of saying, you, your sins are forgiven is something only God can say and does say. But to highlight the fact that he could say it, Jesus says, well, let me show you that I have this authority. He says to the man, rise and walk. The man rises and walks, walks home. The crowd responds with worship 
and glory. Matthew's clearly ending on this note. Following Jesus means following the one who can forgive your sins. And that forgiving your sins is an act that glorifies God. God is pleased to forgive. Do you see how this builds? We start with two men. One who isn't ready to commit. Another one who says he doesn't want to commit. And then we see this dangerous encounter with a storm. We see this confrontation with evil. And so we have these negative stories leading up to this big, glorious positive. If you're following Jesus, it means the forgiveness of sins. I've mentioned this before. The biggest struggle that your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, your unsaved relative is dealing with in this moment is what do I do with my guilt? Because everybody feels it. If you don't, that is what we would describe as a sociopath. Most people understand they're guilty of something. Now, some people, they try to deal with their guilt this way. They, 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 they create scales. And they go, you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to deal with my guilt by trying to do, is do more good things. So I'm going I'm to build this scale. So I've got so many good things on one side that it takes care of all the bad things I've done. But the reality is almost everybody who's ever tried this realizes it doesn't do anything for your guilt. In our day and age, the popular thing to do is to say that guilt is just a construct. The only reason I feel bad for what I did is because of the way I was raised or because of the culture I grew up in. Well, the problem is, unless you're a sociopath, you really can't get away from your conscience. And then there's the other very popular thing right now, the positive self-image, to go stand in a mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and ultimately people like me. And that becomes the measure. I can't be that bad. People like me. People think I'm attractive. People think I'm smart. They think I do a good job. I, I must be okay because people like me. You should already know why that's a problem. Because someday you're going to meet somebody who what? Who doesn't like you. Are you going to crumble in that moment? And then decide there's something wrong with you? And I'll tell you what, it is exhausting and impossible to try and please everyone. What we have in following Jesus, we have a message, we have a faith, we have a place, we have a person we can go, we can walk to, we can follow, and he can truly and completely and entirely relieve us of our guilt. That is the good of Jesus Because Jesus can say to anybody at any time, no matter what they've done, take heart, my child, your sins are forgiven. And you can walk away leaping and praising. So, three stories. And we're being invited to follow Jesus. We can start by saying following Jesus means that our biggest problem is dealt with. We can say... To ourselves, if we follow Jesus, we can say, we can take heart because we follow Jesus. We know that our sins are forgiven. And perhaps we need to keep this before us as we confront the evil in our lives, the evil in the world, as we have to decide what kind of choices we're going to make. And to keep this before us as we realize that following Jesus is is going to bring good, does bring good, but is never safe. 
We keep that in mind when we're following Jesus and we let loose one of those. What are you doing? And we follow Jesus and keep this in mind because we know, or even if we think, he's leading us right over the side of a mountain. Jesus is a powerful Savior. A wonderful Savior as we saw last week. And here we see Matthew calling us to follow him. Let's pray. Father, I pray we would be a people who are ready to follow Jesus. May we know that it is always good but never safe. Know that with following Jesus will be these moments, these times, where we will have to decide between doing what is right and following or or making the choice not to. But Father, may we always keep before us the, the truth that following Jesus means the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you, Father, for these things. We thank you for the grace and the blood of Christ that cleanses us and help us to take heart and know that our sins are forgiven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your hymnals, turn to 488.